Hello, and welcome to World of Warbirds. I'm Brian Pierce. Before we begin, you should know that you can always check out the pictures on the World of Warbirds Facebook page in order to better appreciate what is being described today. I think that it would be fair to say that most Warbird fans would probably be able to list off multiple examples of World War II aircraft from each of the participating countries. From the USA, Germany, and the UK, and the others, most folks would be able to ramble off a bunch from each one. Some might even be able to come up with a couple from the Soviet Union. When it comes to Japan, unless someone is a specialist, there is only the Zero. I know that Warbirds fans realize that Japan had other aircraft, but it's a rare person who can name any. There's a Betty, right? And a Val, right? What's with the girls' names? So what was it about this aircraft that has so firmly embedded itself into the fabric of history? Was it the plane itself? Something about its design and capabilities or weapons? Or was it the pilots and the way that they flew this aircraft? Or was it the way that the plane and pilot were used by the government of the Empire of Japan and its military leaders that gave it such a reputation for deadliness and skill and even stealth? Well, let's take a look and see what lies beneath the legend of the Zero. Design and Development The predecessor to the Zero, the Mitsubishi A5M fighter, was just entering service in 1937 when the IJN, the Imperial Japanese Navy, started the search for its eventual replacement, that they called Prototype 12. Requirements for the new fighter were sent to both Mitsubishi and Nakajima, and they started work right away. The A5M was actually doing very well in Japan's conflict in China. However, one place where the IJN was looking for improvement was range. The A5M could get away with operating out of land airfields in China, but if war was to occur over the vast expanses of the Pacific Ocean, long range was a must. The Allied codename for the A5M was Claude, and although I'll post a picture of it on the Facebook page, imagine an aircraft shaped roughly like the Zero, but with an open cockpit, fixed and spatted landing gear, and synchronized twin machine guns firing from the cockpit over the engine cowling and through the propeller disc. As stated earlier, the IJN had been having good experience in China with the Claude, but wanted much, much more. They wanted a speed of 310 miles per hour at 13,000 feet, and a climb to 10,000 feet in 9.5 minutes. With the addition of drop tanks, the new fighter needed to have an endurance of 2 hours at normal power or 6 to 8 hours at economical cruising speed. Armament was to be two 20mm cannons, two 7.7mm, that's 303 inch, machine guns, and two 60kg, that's 130 pound bombs. Radio direction equipment for long range navigation was a must for this fighter which was to operate for hours over a featureless ocean. It must be able to take off in less than 230 feet with a 27-knot headwind. It could not sacrifice any of the maneuverability of the Claude, and the wind span had to be less than 39 feet to allow for use on aircraft carriers. Now, perhaps these numbers don't signify much to us, but here's what they really meant. Imagine that you are the Japanese aircraft industry. 
You just gave the Navy the best fighter that you could build, and almost immediately, in the same year, they ask for 60 more miles per hour in level speed, 12% increase in climb performance, 600 more miles of range, more guns, more bombs, and no giving up of anything in what you just gave them in the best fighter that you just gave them. The Navy was asking for a quantum leap. They were asking for an aircraft better than any land-based fighter at the time, and it had to be able to operate off of an aircraft carrier. Nakajima looked at the insane requirements, decided that it would be impossible to meet them, and very quickly dropped out of the competition. However, Mitsubishi looked at them and decided that they would have a crack at building Prototype 12. One advantage was that the Claude design team, led by Hiro Horikoshi, was still intact and could start right away on the project. He came up with a three-year timetable for creating the new aircraft. However, the pressures of war would compress the timetable considerably, and the actual prototype would be in the air much sooner than expected, and some of the flight testing program would in reality be occurring during actual combat. Horikoshi's team decided that the only way that they were going to get the desired performance required for Prototype 12 was to aim for extreme lightness. They did this in a variety of ways. Firstly, they selected a new aluminum alloy with which to build the majority of the airplane. This was known as Extra Super Duralumium, ESD, which was lighter in weight than other alloys, but very strong. Interestingly enough, this alloy would eventually find itself in M16 rifles, lacrosse stick handles, and the space shuttle's solid rocket booster nozzles. But the Zero was its first application in a mass production setting. Secondly, they also decided to build the wing in one piece, which made it very strong, but also saved about 100 pounds in fasteners and connectors. Thirdly, they kept the airplane's frontal area as small as the Nakajima engine allowed. Lastly, in the designer's relentless goal to save weight, they also omitted any armor for any part of the aircraft or the pilot, plus left out self-sealing fuel tanks. These were becoming standard features for the rest of the world, but there was a different philosophy at play in Japan. Speed, agility, and warrior spirit was to make up for any other shortfalls. In many ways, the design of the Zero mirrors the war philosophy of the Empire of Japan, but on a small scale. Neither were ready for long, slugging battles of attrition. The prototype was ready in March of 1939. It was named the A6M1. Before we get too much further, perhaps this is as good a time as any to talk about Japanese naming conventions and the system that the Allies came up with to avoid confusion. The official designation of the aircraft was A6M. The A meant that the aircraft was designed to operate from an aircraft carrier. The M meant that the manufacturer was Mitsubishi. The number in the middle indicated the sequence number of this aircraft produced by the firm. For example, the previous aircraft was the A5M Claude. Numbers tacked on the end would indicate the mark. The first mark or prototype was the A6M1. The last mark designated was the A6M8. Now, there are also model numbers that get tacked on after the mark. For example, the versions that attacked Pearl Harbor were the A6M2 models 11 and 21, 
And although there were differences, for the sake of simplicity in this podcast, I have decided to omit the use of the model numbers. All right, so what about the name Zero? The IJN at the time named its fighters based on a type name, which in turn was based on the imperial year, which was 2600. This corresponds to the Western year 1940. So the aircraft's type name was Rai Shiki Kanjo Sentoki, which translates to Naval Type Zero Carrier Fighter. Japanese pilots called their machines Rai Sen, with Rai meaning zero, and Sen being an abbreviation of Sentoki, which is the Japanese word for fighter. The Japanese language also uses the word zero, and so Japanese pilots also called their aircraft by this word. Some of you may have heard the aircraft referred to as a Zeke. So, where does that come from? Early in the war, Allied soldiers and airmen struggled with the Japanese aircraft naming conventions. Not only did Japanese aircraft have at least two names, some completely different aircraft could have the same name if they came into service in the same year, but one was operated by the Army and one was operated by the Navy. In situations where quick identification and communication could be a question of life and death, this confusion was a problem. In 1942, a United States Army Air Force military intelligence officer, Captain Frank T. McCoy, came up with a solution. He gave boys' names to the Japanese fighters and girls' names to all the other types of aircraft, although the system gradually grew to training aircraft being named after trees, transports having girls' names that start with T, and gliders having bird names. McCoy clearly had a sense of humor because, even in such serious times, he decided to use comical, hillbilly-style names from where he grew up back in Tennessee, such as Roof, Nate, and Ida. He also named planes after people he knew. For example, the Mitsubishi G4M had large gun turrets, and so McCoy named it after Betty, who, I guess, had certain endowments that reminded him of large turrets. The name he came up for the Zero was Zeke. Although both names were used by the Allies, Zero was the favorite. McCoy's sense of humor got him in some trouble, though, when he used the name Hap for a later version of the Zero. Hap was a nickname of General Hap Arnold, who just happened to be commander of the United States Air Forces and McCoy's boss. McCoy changed the code name to HAMP. Now, after this considerable detour, let's get back to the story of the Zero. Prototypes Mitsubishi built two prototypes of the Zero, and these were called A6M1s. Flight testing began in March 1939, and the test pilots discovered that the braking system needed to be beefed up, and the 780-horsepower Mitsubishi Zuisi 13 engine just didn't have enough power and was being pushed too hard and thus overheating. There was also some annoying vibration. The vibration problem was fixed by changing from a two-bladed to a three-bladed prop. However, the engine issue was a little more sticky. Mitsubishi understandably wanted to continue using their own engine. However, the Navy asked that a third prototype be fitted with a 940-horsepower Nakajima Seike-12 engine. The third prototype with the Seike-12 engine was known as the A6M2 and first flew in December of 1939. 
During the course of testing and early production of the A6M2, problems with control flutter were solved by strengthening the wing spar, modifying aileron tabs, and manually folding wingtips were added to allow the aircraft to fit on aircraft carrier elevators. The Imperial Navy was so pleased with the A6M2 that, depending on how you look at it, they either rushed it into service or continued with flight testing in combat conditions and production ramped up. Production The A6M2 was the most produced version of the Zero and was the type that attacked Pearl Harbor and ruled the skies for the first six months of the war. Even after it had been superseded by other types, it was still used for other duties such as patrol, anti-submarine work, training, and at the end of the war, kamikaze attacks. Mitsubishi built 740. 800 were built by Nakajima. The A6M2K was a two-seat trainer. 508 of these were built by Hitachi. One of the more interesting A6M2s was a float plane version built by Nakajima and known to the Allies as the Roof, and that's spelled R-U-F-E. The idea behind this float plane fighter was that it would be able to defend islands that were too small to have a runway. Of course, it could be argued that if an island was so small that it couldn't host a runway, then it was too small to need to be defended. Imagine a Zero with a large central float attached to the fuselage by a pylon and two smaller floats also on pylons supporting the wings. What's remarkable is that the performance of this float plane version was still quite good at 271 miles per hour and the range was great, 1,100 miles, as the central float was also used as a fuel tank. They were still able to tangle with Allied fighters and were even able to claim two confirmed B-17s. Nakajima built 327 of the version. Mitsubishi tried to update the Zero multiple times over the course of the war, with versions numbered from A6M3 through A6M8. However, they were never able to reproduce the magic of the original Zero. Rather than name them all off here, I think it would be more interesting to reveal the subsequent versions as they were introduced in order to try to counter rising Allied air opposition during the operational history section. Operational History The legend of the Zero began in July 1940, when 13 pre-production A6M2s attacked 27 Soviet-made Polikarpov I-15 biplanes of the Chinese National Air Force and shot them all down without losing any zeros. While the zeros were still in this testing phase, they shot down probably over a hundred Chinese aircraft. When reports of the new Japanese aircraft arrived in Washington and London, no one seemed very concerned. It seems that, generally, Japanese forces were assumed to be inferior to those from the West. Strong proof of this can be inferred in that the British didn't send their new Spitfires or Hurricanes to counter the new threat in the East. At the outbreak of the Pacific War, the Japanese had 521 Zeros available. 328 of them were deployed on aircraft carriers. They quickly earned an almost mythic reputation. Their unheard-of range allowed them to show up seemingly from out of nowhere, or seem as if there were more Zero units than actually existed. 
The Zero was highly maneuverable, had good firepower, and in the hands of experienced and skilled pilots, which most of the Japanese pilots were, could easily dispatch anything the Allies could throw against them. The Zeros and their pilots ran rampant against the Allies for the opening months of the war. One of the first hurdles they experienced was Colonel Chenault of the Flying Tigers, which was officially known as the First American Volunteer Group, AVG, in China. The Flying Tigers used Curtis P-40 Warhawks, and Colonel Chenault didn't play by the Zeros' rules. Even though the Zeros could outmaneuver the P-40s, the Warhawks did have some advantages against the Zero. They were more ruggedly built, they had armor, and self-sealing fuel tanks. Also, the light Zero just couldn't catch up to the P-40 in a dive. If a Zero was jumped by one of the Flying Tiger's boom and zoom attacks, where the P-40 would dive in, hit hard, and then dive away, then the Zero might be taken out by the firepower of the P-40. However, if the Warhawk decided to dogfight, then the Zero was at a distinct advantage. By the way, if you haven't already listened to my episode on the P-40, be sure to give it a listen when you're done with this one. During the Battle of Guadalcanal between August 1942 and February 1943, American Grumman F-4F Wildcat pilots used similar tactics, trying to ambush the Japanese Zeros from above, hitting them fast and hard, and then climbing away quickly. They avoided dogfights where the Zero was superior. If the Wildcat pilot was able to get a few hits with their heavy machine guns on a delicate Zero, they were more likely to succeed. A trick learned early on was the Thatch Weave, which was devised by Lieutenant Commander John S. Jimmy Thatch. Knowing that the American fighters were inferior in terms of turning, he had worked out a maneuver using matchsticks on his desk to force a Japanese plane into a position to receive the heavy fire of the American Wildcat. To perform the thatch weave, two fighters would fly about 200 feet apart, and when a Zero locked onto the tail of one of the fighters, the two aircraft would turn towards each other. When the Zero followed his original target, he would then come into a position to be fired on by the target's wingmen. Again, the heavy 50 caliber machine guns would make short work of the light Zero. As soon as a year after Pearl Harbor, the myth of the invincibility of the Zero had vanished. The capture of a nearly intact Zero that had crash-landed in the Aleutians had allowed Allied authorities to thoroughly flight test the model and learn its strengths and its weaknesses. Also, the juggernaut of American aircraft production and pilot training had begun to pay serious dividends just as the cream of Japanese pilots were getting chewed up and lost in their unarmored Zeros. Finally, when Japanese pilots tried to take on American four-engine bombers, such as the B-17s, they realized that their fighters just didn't have the punch to bring down these monsters easily. Also, the bombers' 50 caliber machine guns could definitely sting back. In 1942, the Imperial Japanese Navy tasked two Japanese commanders, Kono and Kofuda, to write up a report highlighting the problems and asking for a new fighter to solve them. This they did, stressing the need for more offensive and defensive power. 
Mitsubishi was actually already working on it. Even before the Pearl Harbor attack, they had realized that an improved version of the Zero would be needed. However, they now had a lot going against them. The designers were not only trying to update the Zero, they were also working on a very troublesome replacement for the Zero, which was known as the J2M with the code name Jack. The J2M was having severe engine troubles, and so the divided workload was sure to slow things down. And this was at a time when speedy production had become an overriding concern. Japan was now locked in a war of attrition with the USA, and it was rapidly falling behind as the industrial might of America was now churning out fighters, bombers, and even shipping in wartime, as it had once turned out toasters and washing machines during peacetime. Horikoshi and his designers were hoping that more power would allow them to solve the shortcomings of the Zero. So they selected the Seke 21 with a two-speed supercharger. Although this new engine was more powerful by 200 horsepower, it was also longer and heavier, which required changes to the Zero's airframe to account for the larger size and shift in the center of gravity. The fuselage fuel tank also had to be shrunk to make room for the engine, which, along with the fact that the new engine was more thirsty than its predecessor, cost 600 miles of range for an increase of only 7 miles per hour in speed. The wingtips were also chopped off to eliminate the folding wingtip feature. This was supposed to simplify and speed up production, and also to improve handling which had suffered somewhat due to the other changes in the airframe. On the plus side, however, capacity for 40 more cannon rounds per gun were added, so that was something. When this new Zero, called the A6M3, was released, the changes to the aircraft were enough that the U.S. thought that it was a whole new airplane, and thus it was given the aforementioned HAP or HAMP codename although afterwards it was discovered that this airplane was just an updated Zeke. A6M3s were rushed into service in the battles for the Solomons and Guadalcanal. The loss in range, and thus time over their targets, meant that many planes and pilots were lost due to their tanks running dry on the way back to base. Plus, they were already getting badly beaten by new American aircraft arriving on the battlefield. For all the work involved, the A6M3 was rather disappointing, and only 343 ended up being built. Desperation was beginning to show. With the failure of the A6M3, and the arrival of America's Lightning's Corsairs and Hellcats, and the endless problems being encountered with trying to produce an outright replacement for the Zero, Mitsubishi was obliged to go back to the well and try once again to update the now-tired design. They had already been experimenting with a model known as the A6M4, which was to use a new turbo supercharger in order to squeeze out more power in high-altitude flight. However, shortages in the alloys needed to manufacture the new turbo supercharger led to the whole program being cancelled after just two prototypes were built. Attention was then shifted to the A6M5, which used thicker and thus stronger aluminum on the wings, and more fuel was added in wing fuel tanks, 
which was great, except that they were still not self-sealing, which did increase vulnerability. Even though they were using the same Sake 21 engine as the A6M3, speed was increased by rearranging the exhaust stacks and having them all face aft or backwards, acting to increase thrust. Climbing, speed, and sealing were increased, although range suffered again. Also, finally, some armored glass was installed in the windshield, as well as fire extinguishers. However, in spite of all these best intentions, none of this would matter much. Many of Japan's experienced flyers were already dead, and a flood of well-trained Allied pilots flying increasing numbers of superior aircraft, especially the Grumman F-6F Hellcat, was surging towards Japan. In order to hold their own against the Hellcats and their sister American fighters, these new Zeros desperately needed more power in order to increase speed as well as carry the armor and self-sealing fuel tanks that were finally being considered for the new Japanese models. The A6M6 was an attempt to eke out more power from the Sake 21 engine by using a water methanol boost system. This was meant to increase power for short bursts during dogfights, but of course, it would only last until the water methanol ran out. Just like the A6M4, it was cancelled. But this time it was because the power output from the system wasn't sufficient and it wasn't reliable enough. They built only one prototype. The A6M7 was the last zero type to actually see service. It was a dive bomber version with many modifications introduced to allow the aircraft to perform in this new role. It needed a strengthened fuselage, especially the vertical stabilizer, in order to survive the rigors of a high-speed dive. A new bomb rack and release mechanism was installed in the center fuselage in order to carry a 250 or 500 kilogram bomb, which meant losing the drop tank that was usually in that position. In order to make up for the loss of this fuel tank, fittings for two 33-gallon wing drop tanks were installed. Sadly, due to the pressures of war and the lack of time or fuel for training, the quality of the Japanese pilots that were available to fly the A6M7 often meant that the best tactics that they could employ was as part of a special attack unit, which was what the kamikaze units were called. There was one last version of the Zero. The A6M8 was powered by the Mitsubishi Kensei 62 engine, which could produce an impressive 1,560 horsepower. It's interesting to note that this engine was basically double the horsepower of the engine that powered the first Zero prototype. In order to fit the new engine in the nose of the aircraft, it was extensively modified and featured a fat prop spinner. Armament was two 13.2mm machine guns and two 20mm cannons in the wings. Two prototypes were built, flown and tested. The Navy ordered 6,000 of them, but the Japanese aircraft industry was in a shambles at this time, and not one entered service by the end of the war. Pilots A great example of a Zero pilot is Saburo Sake. He was born on the 25th of August, 1916, in Saga, Japan. 
He was the third of four sons, and his name actually means third son. When his father died, he was shipped off by his struggling mother, who had been left to raise seven children alone, to live with an uncle in Tokyo, who paid for his schooling. Saburu didn't do well in school, and so at the age of 16 he joined the Navy, where he described his experiences as a naval recruit being brutal. Beatings by instructors, sometimes with sticks, were common. Although he might not have been a scholar, Saburu was an excellent sailor, and after he was inducted into flight school, an excellent pilot. He graduated first in his class, and in 1937 was actually presented a silver watch by none other than the Emperor Hirohito himself. Although Saburu qualified as a carrier pilot, he actually never flew operationally off aircraft carriers. He started his combat flying in China in the A-5M Claude, and later was selected to fly the new A-6M20. In 1941, he flew with a group of 45 Zeros in the attack on Clark Air Base in the Philippines, where he brought down an American P-40 and destroyed two B-17s by strafing them on the ground. Saburu was later based in Rabul and fought in the Battle of Guadalcanal, where he and his comrades realized that the easy days of combat were ending. The Americans' new tactics, such as the thatch weave, were beginning to make an impact when their F-4F Wildcats joined combat with Saburu and his comrades Zeros. Saburu was also marveled by the ruggedness of the Grumman fighting aircraft, one time pumping 600 machine gun rounds into a Wildcat, and it just kept on flying. Saburu was badly injured during an attack on another Grumman aircraft, the TBF Avenger, when the rear gunner got him with a 30 caliber machine gun bullet, which creased his scalp but didn't penetrate his skull. Blood and shattered glass temporarily blinded him, and as his zero dove towards the sea, Saburu considered looking for a ship to dive into, which he considered the only appropriate way to a samurai to end his life in that condition. However, the blast of cold air revived him, and tears cleared his eyes as he leveled out. Somehow he flew four more hours back to Rabul, and after several attempts, finally landed his zero. Saburu had lost the sight in one eye, and as such he was not allowed to fly in combat anymore. But he was employed as an instructor for a year. In 1943, when Japan's need for pilots became critical, he was allowed to fight again, and he was sent to Iwo Jima, where he would now have to face... American F-6F Hellcats. In several engagements, Saburu's superior skill, and let's be honest, his luck, allowed him to survive when so many of his comrades were shot down. Saburu has the distinction of being involved in the last Imperial Japanese Navy air attack, going after two reconnaissance consolidated B-32 Dominators on the 18th of August, although all aircraft landed safely. Saburu ran a printing shop after the war and wrote about his wartime experiences in the excellent book Samurai, which was published in 1957, and I highly recommend it for a fascinating read. He actually got to meet the tail gunner, Harold Lou Jones, who nearly ended his life back in the skies over Guadalcanal. On the 22nd of September 2000, at the age of 84, Saburu died of a heart attack.
surviving aircraft. Being on the losing side of the conflict seems to mean that there are going to be fewer survivors of the aircraft of that nation. About 11,000 Zeros were built, and only a few survive. Although there are several on static display throughout the world, most are put together from pieces of crashed aircraft or are replicas. When the 2,357th Zero came off the Nakajima production line in May 1943, its builders would have no idea of the marvelous journey that it was about to undertake in its long, long life. It was numbered Zero number 61120. Once completed by Nakajima, it served on the Japanese island of Honshu before being transferred to Iwo Jima, and then on March 1944, it was moved again to the island of Saipan and flew out of Asilioto airfield. Our Zero in question was lucky so far that it hadn't been lost in flight. However, its luck would hold out even further when it wasn't destroyed on June 18, 1944, when the United States Marines captured this airfield and were pleased to see that they had bagged several intact Zero fighters. These intact Zeros were shipped back to the States for evaluation. Four of them were brought back to airworthy status, and one of them was our 61-120. This example ended up at Naval Air Station Patuxent River in Maryland in August 1944, and was test flown by multiple military and civilian fighter and test pilots, including probably the most famous aviator at that time, Lucky Lindy himself, Charles Lindbergh. Following the evaluation flights, the aircraft was used to give frontline combat pilots a taste of the zero. It logged almost 200 hours of flight time in the United States before being declared surplus when the war ended. It was sold for scrap. However, its luck held out again. In 1951, it ended up being bought by Ed Maloney, who had decided to make it his mission to save vintage warbirds in his Plains of Fame Museum. It sat static for many years before being restored to flying condition in 1973 and has been painted to its original IJN livery with black cowling, deep green fuselage, and wings with the red meatball and a creamy white belly. I'll include pictures on the Facebook page. It's the only fully authentic flyable example in the world and the only one powered by the original Nakajima Sake 21 engine. Due to the difficulty of maintaining such a rare power plant, other flying Zeros have been converted to fly with Pratt & Whitney engines. However, our 61-120 still flies with its authentic engine. This aircraft has returned to Japan several times and has been flown for audiences there on several occasions. On the first time in 1978, it was flown for a ceremony to honor the souls of departed military pilots. If you have seen the films Tora 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 or Pearl Harbor, you've already seen this airplane in action. Let's hope that 61-120's luck lasts and she continues to fly into the future to let coming generations experience the legend that is the A6M-0. Be sure to check out the pictures on the World of Warbirds Facebook page in order to better appreciate what has been described today.